Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. You've heard me say many times before that the book of Romans is probably the clearest book or letter in the New Testament that explains the means, the process, the sequence of salvation from beginning to end and logically explains to us why we need a Savior and what that Savior has done for us. And Paul begins in this book by explaining that both Jews and Greeks are lost in sin. He says there's not one righteous, not one. That's his concluding argument. That those who have the law haven't kept it. And those who did not have the law have also violated even their own conscience. And they've turned from what God has written on their heart to go their own way and and to choose a path away from Him. And so... Uh, He explains the need for a Savior. You know, we have to understand our lost condition before we recognize that we need to be rescued. We have to come to grips with that. But then as he begins to move into chapter 5, after speaking about Abraham, who laid the foundation of faith for us, he moves into chapter 5. He begins to explain the power of the cross and that it not only has the capacity to forgive and cleanse us from sinful deeds committed, but it also has the power to break the law of sin and death and thereby give us new freedom in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to consider this morning verses 6 Uh, through 11 as the substance of our text. Let me read that for you. It's also printed on the back of your worship folder, uh, if you have that uh, handy. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In this paragraph, Paul begins by explaining the quality and depth of love that God has for us. And he does so by way of an illustration Uh, Some of you have heard me uh, preach on this passage before and probably have memorized what I'm going to say. And for others of you, it's probably the first time. But he contrasts it with the kinds of people that we might find in the world and our relationship to them. 
And he talks about those who would voluntarily give their lives for people. And he says, hardly anyone will die for a righteous man. You might think at first blush that that doesn't make sense. A righteous man is a good man, right? He does everything right. Well, not exactly. That's part of the problem. He may do everything right, but he has no mercy. He has no grace. He is determined to dot the I and cross the T no matter what it costs, no matter what the price. If you owe him rent and you're three days late, he throws you out. If you don't have money for food, he tells you, tough luck, go find a job. Whatever your situation is, he abides by all the rules. And if you come on hard luck, well, that's your problem. You must have done something wrong to deserve that. And I'm perfectly justified in not coming to your rescue. (laughs) So you see the problem. Paul says hardly anyone will die for this person. Think about the Pharisees. They prided themselves in keeping the law, but Jesus said, you strain at gnats and you swallow camels. You you really are misguided in your understanding. And they were not popular or deeply loved people. They ruled with an iron fist, but the point Paul is making is hardly anyone would die for that person. On the other hand, there is a good man, and that man has... Not only uh, a quality of uh, righteousness, but he has it seasoned with grace and with kindness and with mercy. And that's the fellow that would take a risk for you, that would step out on a limb for you, that would uh, meet you in your time of need and seek to help you. And as that person makes his name and reputation known in the community, if he is in dire straits, Paul says, some would probably give their lives for a guy like that. Because he's he's always thinking of other people, and he's willing to go out on the limb for them. But he contrasts that with the love of God. And he said, but while we were yet sinners... God demonstrated His own love for us in that He sent Christ to die for us. When we were enemies of God, when we were going our own way, when we were so uh, self-focused and inwardly bent on our own will that we couldn't even see God with clarity... God sent Jesus Christ to die for us and to reconcile us and redeem us unto himself that our eyes might be opened and that we might turn from being the enemy of God to being the friend of God and have a dramatic transformation in our lives. God reached out to us when we were going away from him turning our back on Him, rebelling against Him, ignoring His law, in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. And so we come this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even as we have commemorated and and remembered his death on the cross Friday evening, to realize that he has not only died for us, but that he has risen again, and he is alive evermore, and that he has done this for us for a multifold salvation. And so Paul begins by saying, much more having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Paul wants us to realize as believers what we have escaped through Jesus Christ. We have escaped the wrath of God. That's not very popular today. And this is Resurrection Sunday morning, and it's a celebration time. And I'm going to get to the celebration in just a moment. But before we do, we have to think about the fact that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And that God cannot bear to look upon iniquity. And when I say that, of course, you raise the obvious question, well, he sees it all the time because he knows everything. Yes, he does, but... In terms of tolerance, God's tolerance for iniquity has a very clear line. And there will come a day of judgment. And the scripture says that those who persist in their sin all the way through their lives will someday suffer the wrath of God. All who do not come in faith to Jesus Christ will suffer the wrath of God. And Jesus, interestingly enough, our loving Savior, had more to say about hell than any other person in the Bible. He talked more about hell and more about what it was like and more about the consequences and the experience of hell because I believe Jesus was most clearly aware of the terrible end judgment of those who die without forgiveness. And hell is an awful place. He talks in one place about it being a place where the worm doesn't die. And in those days, they had various kinds of diseases. A lot of them we have overcome, but It was not uh, uncommon for someone to get some kind of parasitic infestation and literally be eaten by worms. We have a record of that in the book of Acts. And if you can imagine being gnawed on by creatures that were devouring you, and it goes on without end, forever and forever, and there's no relief. And this is constantly going on on the inside. And I do think it's metaphorical. I don't think that he's talking about creepy crawlies. I think he's talking about the awareness that when people find themselves under the wrath of God, and they begin to review their lives, they look back over their history, 
and they examine the opportunities they had. They examine the things they resisted. They examine the deeds that they had done. They keep coming up. They won't go away. It's a constant reminder that I'm here because I deserve to be here. God is just in judging me. And I belong in this place. He is righteous in putting me in this place. Because all of my life I resisted Him. And I did this and I thought that and I said this. And I planned this other thing. And all of these things come uh, ruminating through the mind as a reminder that I am a sinner and I deserve judgment. And that will plague the minds of those who will suffer eternally, separated from God. The wrath of God, though, in a place called hell is... More than just a sequence of horrible memories and justified punishment. The scripture says there is a component to it that is like fire that burns unquenchably. And he illustrates that with the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man saw Lazarus there at his gate every day when he passed by trying to survive with whatever uh, disabilities he had and the inability to make a living. And the rich man largely ignored him. And then Jesus said there came the day when they both died. Lazarus, who was a believer and a faithful believer in God, went to Abraham's bosom and there he was safe for eternity. But the rich man who had lived his life in a self-centered way, found himself on the other side, separated by a great gulf, in a place of flames. And he begged that Lazarus could somehow dip his finger in cool water and touch his tongue and give him some relief, respite from the flames that were constantly burning him. And Abraham said, that's not possible. And he said, would you please then send Lazarus back? Let him tell my brothers, my family, that they do not want to come to this place. They need to to make correction. They need to turn to God. They do not want to be in this place because I'm suffering torment in these flames. And that couldn't be had either. As Jesus explained, if they won't believe the living, they won't even believe if someone were to come back and tell them from the dead. And so, Jesus paints a picture of a place where there's physical torment. I'm sure all of you have had the experience of having a burn. Maybe you touched a hot stove. Maybe you grabbed a pan out of the stove without thinking Uh, Maybe you were lighting a fire and the match got too short. I touched a hot light bulb the other day. Wow, I forgot how much that can hurt. And it was really hot. Um, And the sting doesn't go away. 
just just a little thing, and it burns. And if it blisters, it really burns. Can you imagine the entire body consumed in flame? But unlike this life where eventually within moments people die, there is no death. There is no way out. There is no escape. They feel like they're in the midst of the furnace forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And there's no relief. And all the while the mind is remembering lost opportunities, rebellious actions, stubborn self-will. I hate to talk about this. It grieves me. But in keeping with the witness of my Lord, we have to recognize that apart from Jesus' atoning sacrifice and his glorious resurrection, we are all sinners destined for wrath. And in his mercy, he has made a way of escape, a way to be rescued, a way to be saved. And friend, if you don't know that salvation this morning, Please don't wait. You have no idea when that moment will come. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. That's the reality. We are not promised another minute of life. We have this breath, and we are guaranteed not another one. And Jesus has come to save us from the wrath that we deserve. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But to move to the good news, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. To be forgiven, to come to Christ... For forgiveness, to ask him to remove the history of our sinful behavior and to break the power of sin in our lives and to come in faith to Jesus Christ enables us to be reconciled to God. Before we were enemies of God, we were estranged from him, we were distant, God seemed he was far away. And somehow we couldn't connect with him. But now we've been reconciled. And that means that the wall has been torn down. The enmity uh, of strife that was existing between us and, and holding us apart has been dissolved. And God has been released by the blood of Jesus. Just as we have been released by the blood of Jesus. To embrace us. You all remember the story of the prodigal. And how he took his inheritance and went and wasted it on riotous living. And squandered all of his 
uh, father's resources, his half of them. And as he wasted his uh, life on that, finally found himself a beggar in a pigsty. He got up and he said, I will go back to my father's house and I will just ask to be a servant. But what did he discover? He discovered that his father was standing at the gate waiting. I don't think that his father had some prophetic revelation. Your son's coming home today. Go out to meet him. I think that's where he was every day. I think every day he took a walk out to that gate, waiting to see if his son would come over the horizon and down the path. Every day he was longing for a reconciliation. He knew how that was going to turn out. His son was arrogant. He was self-centered. That's why he wanted the whole thing to begin with. And every day, I believe, his father went out there to wait for him to return. And that was the day that he looked up. And who should be coming down the path? But this wayward son. Did he chide him? Oh, you foolish boy, I knew you would wreck your life and ruin all of your savings. You're so stupid. You can be a servant, and that's all you deserve. No, the scripture says he ran to meet him, threw his arms around him. The young man tried to get out the words he had rehearsed again and again. Uh, Let me be a servant, but his father would hear none of it. Put a ring on his finger, the symbol of the family significance. Kill the fatted calf. Call everyone up. Not this way. Let's party. Who said that? (laughs) Ryan, let's party. This is time for celebration. This son of mine was lost, and he's come home to me. I'm so glad to receive him. I'm not going to bother with what happened with the other boy. That was another, that's another story in another time. But, But here, the father is so delighted. Do you realize, my brother, my sister, who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, do you realize how much the Father loves you? Do you realize how joyous He is that you've come back to Him? Do you know how happy that makes Him? Why do you think the angels in heaven rejoice and sing when one sinner repents and comes to God? Why do you think Zephaniah says in chapter 3, verses 17, The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's not just the angels that are singing. It's the Father that's singing. This child of mine that was lost has come home to me. Friend, we are reconciled to God. We can come boldly to His throne. We can come in like children. Some of you here this morning have little children. Do they hesitate to ask you for stuff? Do you ever ever see them trying to figure out the right formula? Let's see. 
I need to get this from Dad. So first I've got to build him up a little bit. I've got to do some adoration. And then I better confess anything I've done wrong just in case he knows about it. And then I should be thankful for what he's done. And, and, and then I'll get around to my request. It, it, that's the Acts formula of prayer, if you didn't recognize it. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Ryan, do your kids do that when they come to you for something? Never. Never. <laughs> what, what happens? They just blurt it out. Why? Because you're dead. You're dead. They have no fear. Well, they might occasionally. <laughs> but they have no fear. Because this is dad. I can go to him. I can call him Papa. That's literally what Jesus was saying when he said, Come to Abba, Father. Come to your daddy. Be bold. Come into his presence. I'm not saying that we should in any way minimize his holiness. That we should in any way detract from his uh supremacy his glory is god but he has he is the one who says come boldly to my throne he is the one who says uh, whatever your needs are come and make them known he is the one who says is your burden heavy come and get under my yoke and let me bear it with you that that you might experience a lightning of the load for my Load is easy and my burden is light and you'll find rest when you come to me. He is the one who welcomes us. We have this crazy notion in our mind that now that Jesus has taken away all of our sin, we still somehow have to atone for them. We cannot add to the cross. He has taken all of it on our behalf. He has paid the price. He has absorbed the wrath of God. That's what the word propitiation in His blood means. He has satisfied the wrath of God and the, and the demands of God and the angst of God. He has taken all of that out of the way and made it possible for us to come into His presence welcomed, cherished, valued, loved. Wow! Why do we feel we have to pay for something? Why do we feel we have to go through formulas to approach God in the right way? Why do we feel we have to do all this stuff to sort of induce Him to hear us? He's always listening. He has His ear tuned to our hearts. We have been reconciled to Him. And He holds no grudges. He buries our sin in the depths of the sea. He moves them as far as the east is from the west. God does not keep list. He chooses not to remember. That's an active verb. He remembers them no more. Means he does not bring them up. God is not suffering amnesia. 
But he chooses never to raise the issue again because it's under the blood. And he holds no feelings toward us in that regard. Isn't that amazing? We have been reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life. That's in the future tense. We shall be saved. But friends, it does not wait for the ultimate future to be fulfilled. We are being saved right now. Every moment that we live, we are being saved by the life of Jesus Christ. Until that day comes when we behold him face to face and we are ultimately and finally saved into his presence. And I want to talk with you just a moment about what that means. Because it's a glorious thing to escape the wrath of God. That's a wonderful thing. It is a marvelous thing to be reconciled to God. And to have peace with him. Both judicially and experientially. But it's something wonderful again. To experience the saving life of Jesus every day. More and more each day we live until we see him in resurrected glory. The word save itself means to heal, to restore, to repair. It speaks of wholeness. And friends, when we come to the cross, let's be honest with one another. We're broken. We are broken people. We need a Savior. We need forgiveness. We need reconciliation. But we have another problem. We have a history. We have bad habits, we have character flaws, we have personality defects, we have all kinds of issues that make us at times the rather ugly people that we are. Oh, we dress up on Sunday, and I'm not referring to coat and tie, I'm talking about our demeanor, our the part of us that we put forward, you know, your best foot. We, we make sure we look good for those other people down at the church. But there's another side of us. And here's the good news. Jesus, through his life, died to save us from that side He died to heal us. 
He died to repair our brokenness and to put us back to wholeness. I think the definition of maturity should be coming to the fullness of Christ in my life. To where He comes through me without hindrance. What are you struggling with? What problems beset you? What damage has been done in your life that maybe really isn't even your fault? But it's left a mark. And it um, haunts you at strange times. Some suffer from depression. Some suffer from all kinds of uh, personality quirks that are <clears throat> not just what makes us unique, but what makes us irritating. Uh, some have propensities towards certain kinds of sin, and they don't know how to break that cycle, and they're in bondage. I'm talking about believers. But the life of Jesus, and this is what so many believers don't, don't realize. The life of Jesus is available to break the power of canceled sin. You see, he's not only forgiven us of our sinful actions, but he has broken sin's power. And in his resurrection, he has triumphed over sin and the grave and as a consequence, we are free in Him, in His resurrected life. So, even though I said God does not remember your sins and He chooses not to bring them up, He is the dearest friend that you can go to and speak openly about your issues. You can come to Him and say, Father... I just hate it when I act like this. Will you please do something in my life to change me? Will you please heal me of this? And the life of Christ is available to do that. His resurrected power will give you power, His life through you, over the thing that tears you down. You don't have to remain your ugly self. You can become a beautiful person in public and in private. I'll never forget, I don't think it's original with him by any means, but I was sitting in a licensing and ordination interview meeting one time and my district superintendent made this comment. He says, character is who you are in the dark, when no one sees you. That's character. How's your character? How's it hold up when no one's looking? Well, Jesus came to bring integrity so that you look the same 
when you're being observed and when you're not. So that you are becoming the same person on the outside and the inside. So that the habits that drag you down are broken. So that self-control becomes the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Did you know that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit? And do you know what self-control is? I don't mean to be pedantic here and talk down to you, but I need to be reminded. Self-control is the capacity to have yourself under control. Self-evident. And that means that you are able to do the right thing, no matter how strongly pulled in another direction. And it's the life of Christ that makes that possible. You will be saved by His life. Your life will be changed day by day, month by month, year by year. You should not look like the same person today that you were when you were saved at first and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You should be different. You should be able to look at the, at the history and see transformation. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is a truth in Jesus Christ. His life empowers you to live in victory. You may not see any difference from day to day. We change rather slowly, I'm afraid. And there used to be a song, I remember it from my high school days, it was uh, some kind of a silly song that had to do with one more trip around Mount Sinai. And it had to do with the stubbornness of the Israelites to understand what God was trying to get them to understand. And so he had them marching around and around and around. Anyway, um, sometimes I feel like that when God's working on something in my life. I get it today. I forget it the next three days or a month. And then he brings it up again and I get it again. And then I forget it. And then he says, let's take another lap. <laughs> I've even prayed this with things that have had me in bondage in one way or another. I've said, Lord, I'm so dumb right now. I can't see the trigger that sets me off the path. I, I just, I don't see it coming. And before I know it, I'm in the ditch somewhere. So, next time I go through this, would you show me the trigger? Show me what it is, the moment when I need to cry out, Help, Lord, save me. I'm sinking. Show me that, that precise moment. So that I don't keep doing this. 
Some of you may remember me telling you years ago, we inherited a riding mower when we came up here, and it was parked over at the parsonage, and it was a pretty weird machine. And things kept breaking, and I remember I had been asking the Lord to conquer, because uh, I, I, I reach a breaking point, and when I've crossed that line, I'm just mad. And I had been asking the Lord to conquer that, and I was trying to pull a spring and get it to hook in the little eyelet, and it was strong, and my pliers, which is all I had, kept slipping off of it. I probably shouldn't tell you this. Anyway, I would get it right just about to get it in the hole, and the pliers would slip off, and first I got this knuckle. Then it started bleeding, so I tucked it out of the way. And then I got this one, and then this one, and finally this one. It was hard to get the thumb in the way, so I got, I got all four knuckles. They're all bleeding, and I'm furious. And I took the spring and just whipped it, and it went right through the storm plate glass window that went on the front of the house. I don't know if God really laughs in those moments, but it just it just seemed like he was laughing. And I was humiliated. I, really, before the Lord, I was so humbled. I thought, this is really stupid. I don't ever want to do something like this again. And you know what? I haven't, by the grace of God. He showed me the tipping point for that problem. And I just have to back off when I see it coming and reach out for help. Lord, save me. <laughs> I'm going to drown here. Do you know that you can be saved today by the life of Christ from yourself? That's what progress in holiness is all about theologians call it progressive sanctification i don't care what you call it it's just looking more like jesus every day you live and it's his life that makes that possible we have a risen savior he shed his blood to cleanse our sin he saved us from the wrath of god he has reconciled us to the Father like the prodigal. And now he lives to empower us in victory that we might, by faith, let him live through us and experience the fruit of the Spirit. What a wonderful Savior. All because he died and is risen again. Praise the Lord.